You might have heard of the song before, uh, I'm Seeing My Father in Me. It goes something like this, uh, if my memory serves me correctly. I'm seeing my father in me, that's how it's meant to be, and I find myself more and more like him each day. I find I walk the way he walks, I talk the way he talks, I'm starting to see my father in me. And I love that song because I think it applies to us, generally speaking, about our own families. But what I want to look at today is in the book of Daniel, I think we see a theme about seeing our father's example and image in us. So we're going to be taking a a principle uh, that you see throughout the scripture, but really seeing how it applies in the book of Daniel. And then at the end, I want to really focus on how it applies to us and how, what practically that's going to mean for us. So we're going to look at the, the image of God in us from the book of Daniel. <clears throat> we're going to start with where this idea comes from in the first place, which is Genesis chapter 1. So if you would turn there to Genesis chapter 1. It's amazing to me how many things in Scripture really tie back to the first page. In verse uh, 27 beginning, it says, So God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of, in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food and it was so. So God, when he created us, created us different than the animals. We have God's image in us. He gave us dominion over his creation. So we therefore live distinct from the animals. We don't follow uh, our instincts or desires the same way that animals do. So on the other hand, God, not like the animals, expects humans to bear his image, to live differently, to show self-control, to live by his principles, things like that. So the way we live is meant to, if I can use it as a verb, image God in the world. So we're going to look at how I think that's a huge theme that we see throughout the book of Daniel. So we're going to, uh, there are going to be three points. One is the false images of God that you see in the book of Daniel. Ways in which we try to deify things other than God. We'll go to Daniel 2 to begin with. So the, the idea behind this is that God created us in his image. And I think that's the, the idea behind in Exodus 20 when you have the Ten Commandments and we're told not to make graven images. One, it's uh, representing God in a way that is false, right? God didn't want images created of him that are made of stone and gold and things like that. But also, he already created something that has his image on it, and that is humans, right? We're not to make things that image God And I think that's a, uh, so throughout the book of Daniel, you see this idea of people or kings or whoever it be uh, creating images other than God. False images of God. Ways that we try to deify things other than God. 
or deify ourselves and putting ourselves in the place of God. So we're going to start with Daniel chapter 2. We, we just read this. Uh, this is where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. No one uh, knows what the dream is or can interpret it. So he's about to kill all of the wise men. But Daniel uh, asks for some time. He and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, pray to God that he might give the, reveal to them what the dream is. And uh, God does. God shows mercy. And Daniel then is able, uh, giving God the credit to tell him what his dream was and interpret it. And basically the dream is, as you see up here on the screen, uh, a big statue. And the statue has a head of gold, uh, arms and chest of silver, a belly and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. And those represent different kingdoms. And he says, you are the head of gold, King Nebuchadnezzar. But then the subsequent kingdoms that would come would be part of the, the other parts of this statue. And I think this, this vision is actually a, kind of a paradigm vision or a model vision for the rest of the book. It, uh, a lot of the visions that we'll see after this in the book fit into this framework of this vision in, in Daniel chapter 2. But does that sound familiar uh, to have a statue or the, literally the word here is image? that rules. That's how, um, in this vision, God represents the kingdoms of man. It sounds a lot like Genesis 1, doesn't it? To have an image that rules. Also look at verse 38 in Daniel chapter 2. It says, in your, uh, when he's speaking of the dominion that God gave Nebuchadnezzar, he says, in your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. So there's a lot of language here, and we'll continue to see it, that draws us back to Genesis 1 and how we're supposed to see the language of Genesis 1 here. But what had happened is they'd taken this image, and ultimately this image is supposed to represent the corruption of, all, of, of the kingdoms and how God ultimately is going to destroy all that and set up his kingdom. We are the images that image God in the world, not idols. And uh, sadly, the image of God in humans, kingdoms of the earth and kings and all of us have made idols. Have, we've made them idols. So I think the idea here is picturing human kingdoms as an idol is appropriate. Because not only do we make idols of other things, we also idolize ourselves. Um, we turn ourselves into something more than what God created us to be. And we've corrupted the image of God um, by idolatry, wickedness, pride, self-exaltation. And we'll see some of that in, uh, in Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar is uh, perhaps proud to learn that he's represented by the head of gold. And, uh, but in fact, he's the head of the statue that is doomed to fall, Right. And uh, you see, actually, in the way that the image is set up, it starts with gold, but as you go down the image, it becomes, le- each metal below that is less and less valuable, right? So there's like this, de- the, the image itself represents a kind of a degradation of humanity. Um, they're not living in the image of God in which he created them. And especially once you get to the bottom, the whole image itself is uh, on a base of 
fragility, right? The iron and the clay mixed together is fragile. It's going to break. Um, it's not united. And so you see the, the whole image itself is unstable. It's going to fall. Uh, but God bring, makes that happen himself by the, the stone that crushes the whole image, makes it powder, and sets up his kingdom. <clears throat> you might think of uh, Romans 1.25 that says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is what the kingdoms of the world have done, right? And I don't think it's a surprise that in the next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar sets up for himself an image of gold in the plain of Dura. More like an obelisk probably, but he sets up this and he makes everyone bow down to it. This is right after he learns that he is the head of gold, right? of this statue, but it's not something he should be proud of, right? It's the head of a king of a set of kingdoms that is going to be destroyed. The head of making idolatry out of humanity. So these kingdoms will not last. I want to look um, at an, another example of the false images of, of God that peop, that we make. And in this one is in the very next chapter. I already refer, refer to this that Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image of gold. And I take it that this is probably representing either himself or Babylon, his kingdom. And he makes everyone bow down to it. You know the story. Uh, he calls in all of the important people. Make sure he lists them. Uh, I, think, and I, I think Daniel, as he writes this, is even mocking uh, somewhat what Nebuchadnezzar has done to play this up, to make it a big deal. And he lists twice this long list of all of these important people who are coming to worship this idol. And four times he lists all the instruments that Nebuchadnezzar would have been especially impressed with. But over and over, you see this idea of Nebuchadnezzar setting up the image. Look at, for example, verse 2 of chapter 3. It says, He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, Treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Look in verse 3. It says um, near the end, for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then look in verse 5. They must fall down and worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. In verse 7. As soon as they heard all those instruments, all the nations, the people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, had set up. Verse 12, verse 14, verse 18, all use that uh, same language. There's a huge emphasis on this idea of Nebuchadnezzar set it up. So think about that. This image can't set itself up, can't even sit up, right? Nebuchadnezzar has to set it up, right? It can't even sit up on its own. Uh, it has no inherent strength in and of itself. And this is a, a clear contrast with God, who in chapter 2, verse 21, chapter 2, verse 21, says he, talking about God, changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up or sets up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. So God is the one who sets up kings and kingdoms. Not Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar can't even, or he has to set up his own God, right? His God can't set up anything. 
And what kind of honor is this? You remember that he says, if you don't bow down to it, then you essentially uh, will be burned up in the fiery furnace. What kind of honor is that if you have to force people to worship what your, your system or yourself, whatever it might be? It's like the more power that Nebuchadnezzar got, the more he craved it and the more f- fearfully and jealously he tried to maintain it. He's insecure, and, but he's trying to maintain uh, his power. And uh, what's, what's I think so ironic about this is that in, the, in verse um, 19, after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down, and they say, you know, we're going to trust in God that whether he res- rescues us or not, we're not going to bow down to this. Uh, in verse 19, when it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude, this is the way my version reads, toward them changed. Or some versions say that his expression of his face changed. Uh, the literal word there is actually image. His image changed. So it's like Nebuchadnezzar is setting up this image of, of himself or whoever he wants them to worship. But he can't even control his own image. And that's clear. Shown in his face, he can't control himself. I'm going to look at a couple other examples of this, of false images. Um, if you look in Daniel chapter 5, this is after Nebuchadnezzar's reign and when there's a, a threat on the kingdom. Belshazzar is now the, the king. And in verse 4, they take all of the, the golden goblets that uh, had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem and they drink wine with them. And it says in verse four, as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So you again see the same idea of setting up false images. The very metals uh, that were in the image in chapter two. Uh, now they are worship, continuing to worship these things rather than God. We set up plenty of false images in front of God, instead of God. The last example of this in the book of Daniel that I want to show is in chapter 6. In chapter 6, the uh, Babylonian kingdom has already fallen, and now the uh, Medo-Persian empire has come to power. And King Darius is persuaded to make a, a law, you remember, where no one could pray to anyone except for him. So again, you have that same idea, and I think that's a theme throughout here is people essentially putting themselves in the place of God, setting up false images in the place of God. And Darius does this by insisting that people pray only to him. So point number two is that is the idea of losing the image of God in us. We've God put his image in us, but we have not lived according to his image. We've set up false images and we've also failed to live in God's image as he created us to be. I'm going to give this example at the end, but just to show clearly that this is, I think, what happens is uh, Romans 3.23. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God created us with in his image with a certain glory and we've fallen from that. We're going to see that at the end, though. Another example outside of the book of Daniel real quick that I want to show is when Paul says that you bite and devour one another. Be careful that you're not consumed by one another. What does that sound like? Does that sound like human activity or the way we sh- like civilized people are? No, it sounds like animals, right? 
devouring each other, eating each other, right? That's animal activity, not human activity. So we're going to see actually um, several times, we're, we're going to get away from the image example a little bit and look at the idea how God's created us distinct from the animals. But when we don't live in his image, we essentially become beasts. So I want to look first at Daniel chapter 4. <clears throat> There's another vision in this uh, chapter that Nebuchadnezzar has. We're back now. We've gone back to the Babylonian kingdom again. Nebuchadnezzar is still king. And Nebuchadnezzar actually writes this. Daniel maybe actually put it in here, but this is a um, first-person account by Nebuchadnezzar, which might, if I'm not mistaken, be the only like, chapter that's authored by a pagan of the Bible. But uh, we have Nebuchadnezzar writing this, and he starts off praising God, but then goes back and tells the backstory of how that'll happen. He had a vision, and in the vision, he sees this tree. And look in verse 12, and it describes the tree here. It says, uh, let's look at verse 11 and 12. It says, the tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. So you continue to have this language, uh, and we'll, we'll learn that Nebuchadnezzar is this tree, okay? And God's going to talk about what he's going to do to him. But uh, again, we have that language that comes from Genesis 1, where he was given, uh, and humans are given dominion over creation, over all the animals. Yet, we're going to see that it's, pri- it's Nebuchadnezzar's pride, his self-exaltation, his ultimately his cruelty and oppression, that leads him to not only act like a beast, but actually become a beast. And so um, uh, what happens in the vision is that the tree is cut down, the stump is maintained and uh, bound with iron and bronze. And then rapidly there in verse 15, the image is shifted from a tree to a human. And it says there, let him be drenched. This is verse uh, 15. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Uh, Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. So not only was Nebuchadnezzar already living this way, but he was actually going to be punished and and humbled by God actually making him an animal. That's the message of this image. But let's look at some ways in which Nebuchadnezzar, his, his character, his activity, was already, in many ways, living like an animal. Um, living like a beast. So one would be, uh, look in verse 27, um, after Daniel interprets this dream for him. This is verse 27 of chapter 4. Daniel, and I think this is incredible, has the boldness to actually ask uh, the king or uh, petition the king that he would repent, right? He cares enough about him to risk, to risk saying this. But he says, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So uh, one of the key things there is that he, his, 
wickedness of how he treated the oppressed. And, and, and we also know uh, one of Nebuchadnezzar's key sins was his pride, right? Him thinking, I've done all this. And that's actually the moment in which he becomes a beast is when he's thinking, this is, this is all things I've done by my own hands. But pride will always lead to cruelty. It will always lead to oppression of others, right? When we're prideful, when we think highly of ourselves and lowly of others, then we will start treating other people with cruelty and oppression. That's the way the beasts are. They just act by instincts. Uh, They bite and devour each other, like Paul said. Think of some other examples in which Nebuchadnezzar does this. He can't get people to tell him and interpret his dream. So he's going to kill all of them, right? He said, I'll tear them limb from limb. They're all going to become body parts if they can't interpret my dream. I'll throw them in the fiery furnace if they don't comply with my system of religion. Right? If they don't worship me, my kingdom, whatever it might be, I'm going to throw them in a fiery furnace. That's beastly. And once again, Nebuchadnezzar boasts that he is the one who brought up his kingdom. Yet, he hadn't done one bit. It had been all God. God is the one who raises up kings and, t- and takes them down. So these are the kind of attitudes, ultimately, that aren't living in God's image. We're living like animals. <clears throat> I want to look at one more example of this. In chapters 7 and 8, we're not going to read um, all of those. But if you read them, these are where Daniel starts to have his own visions uh, rather than the visions of kings. Now Daniel's having his own visions. And the kingdoms, the four kingdoms in chapter 7, are all animals. I think just as uh, representing the kingdoms by an idol was so appropriate because kingdoms have idolized themselves, put themselves in the place of God, showing the kingdoms as beasts or animals is particularly appropriate as well, right? Because uh, the kingdoms have become not living in the image of God. They've lost the image of God and they're living beastly, uh, with beastly character. They're living according to their own instincts, their own desires, not according to God's law. And uh, especially the fourth beast in chapter 7 is particularly terrible and horrific. And what the beast does is devours others, Right? If you think about that as for ourselves as well, the pride, the times that we treat others cruelly, those are not us living in God's image. But I want to also look at how in the book of Daniel, we see the restoring of the image of God in us. What it looks like when we do live in God's image. And even in this book, we see that happening. We'll start with Daniel chapter 1. Daniel and his friends had been forced to come to Babylon. They uh, were put into this program as young men to be essentially brainwashed, become like the Babylonians. It would have been so disorienting to be in this new place, these new rules, this new language, given new names. And yet, uh, Daniel resolves that he's not going to stop serving his God, right? And particularly as it involves the food that they ate, they were given food that would have apparently been defiling to them as Jews and would have violated God's law. And so Daniel, in verse 8, says, 
Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself this way. So many things about this to me show that Daniel is living in God's image, not like the kingdoms, not like the kings, um, and not like sometimes we do. This would have been extremely difficult, right? This is not just him following his instincts or his desires. The easy thing to do would have been just to eat the food, right? Cause no problems. Or maybe uh, at least fight back, right? Say, there's no way I'm going to do this, and if you try it, I'm going to kill you, right? I'm going to fight back. But Daniel peacefully resists and says, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to defile himself. He shows immense self-control here in all of this. Another example is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to actually read what they say because I just love this and we haven't actually read it yet. As you're turning there to Daniel chapter 3, think about how difficult it would have been to not bow down in this case. As teenagers, when everyone else is bowing down to this image and I mean there's just intense peer pressure from everyone around you and peer pressure is a powerful thing. No matter how ridiculous the thing is it's a powerful thing it's you know like to be the few that say the emperor has no clothes on right is extremely difficult and so the 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 natural thing to do you might say the thing that just following your desires or instincts would be just about out right now we can, and we can be safe that way but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not live that way and in verse 16 beginning it says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your, from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They, they have no doubt about God's power. But they are not presumptuous about his will. But ultimately, no matter what happens, they know that they are not going to bow down. Because, you know, the same God that sprung Peter out of prison also allowed James to be beheaded. Uh, they, they didn't know ultimately what God's plan was in this. But they knew their part, and that was that they were not going to bow down. And that took immense faith, immense trust in the Lord. Uh, that's, we're seeing the image of God in these, in these young men. And finally, in chapter 6, when Daniel resists to live by instincts or live like an animal, he can ultimately resists uh, praying to someone other than God, continues his habit of praying to the Lord. We know that story. And what's ironic in that story, too, is that God controls the mouths of the beasts, right, so that they don't eat him. Daniel lives in his image in God's image, and God stops the beast from doing what they would normally would have done. So I want to take a look now at how this applies to us. We already looked at how, in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The truth is it's not just Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or the people in the book of Daniel that live not in the image of God. We've all lost the image of God. We've not lived in that way. We've li lived as beasts at times in how we treated each other, 
the pride that we've had, right? Living however we wanted to live, not as God wanted us to live. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. As you're turning there, we know that those who are baptized receive forgiveness of sins. Uh, When we're baptized in the name of Jesus, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit is also given to us. And so uh, we know that God's people have his spirit living in them. And I think that's a key part of the idea of returning us to the image of God that we are, ought to be living in. Because notice, uh, I'll read verse 17 and 18. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so, wait a minute, we're being transformed into his image? I thought we were created in his image, right? But we've lost that glory, right? Because we've sinned. We're the only thing actually in his creation that doesn't live as he made us to be, right? All the animals do exactly what God wants them to do, but we have not. And so God desires uh, through his Holy Spirit to transform us and bring us back to that image in ever-increasing glory, to be who he made us to be. And that's what Christians, uh, that's what God does with Christians. Look also at Romans 8. Romans 8 in verse, uh, we're all familiar with verse 28, about God working all things together for good. And uh, it's, he works things together for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Look at verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So it's the idea of glorified. Ultimately, he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus came not only See, the image of God, he is God, right? And shows us exactly what it looks like to live in the image of God, right? Jesus was the perfect example of that. And so to be conformed uh, or transformed back into that image is the desire of God. It's his purpose. He wants us to be glorified in that way. Um, this is not, I don't think this is the idea of like exalted. It's the idea of returning to the glory or the image of God that he put in us in, in, the, uh, in the beginning. That's what God desires for us. We'll look at one final passage in Hebrews chapter 2. Then the lesson will be yours. And mine, because I need it too. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 2. In verse 5, it says, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. You put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that was not subjected to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. I'm going to pause there just for a moment. So he quotes here from Psalm 8. 
speaking of how, and when David was out there looking at the stars, he was humbled by the fact that God gave humans such a privileged position. He uh, has given us dominion over his creation, right? He's given, he's created us in his image. What an amazing thought that God would value us that much. He would take such thought of us in that way and give us such a privileged position. But notice what it says there. Though God did put everything in subject to humans, yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. Uh, we've corrupted that image, right? But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Uh, sorry, uh, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So this passage also reminds us of Jesus, doesn't it? And how Jesus became human, a little lower than the angels. And how he ultimately suffered death. Why? Look in verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So ultimately, uh, Jesus follows in the line of this passage from Psalm 8 in becoming a little lower than the angels and coming down to meet us as humans. To do what? Ultimately, to bring us back to glory. To bring us, to conform us to his image. To become a pioneer that would trudge that path of salvation that we could then walk down. To make us holy people again to restore the image of God that we had lost. And now we can be his brothers and sisters. That's amazing to me. So as you apply this to yourself, and as I apply it to myself, let's think about, just dwell on the idea that God has created us in his image. What a privileged position that's, that is for us. But how is it that we really live in, in that? Are there ways in your life that you've been living not in his image, but like a beast? I know I have, and I know that I do. Uh, but to really be conformed to the image of his son, to be really live in the image that he made me in, um, I have to live according to his laws. He knows the most abundant life and what, it, and what it looks like, and he teaches me about that. So that's the, the lesson I want to leave with you. I, I, I think the book of Daniel in particular is amazing. It shows us so many things about uh, God's plan for us. It's, I think, really applicable to our lives. I want to close with prayer, and then we'll sing our last song. <clears throat> Our holy God and Father, we come humbly to you. We come humbly because we know, Lord, that we do not deserve the immense blessings that you've given us, that you created us in your very image. And yet, Lord, we have not lived in it. And we desperately, Lord, desire to be conformed to the image of your Son. We don't want to live like beasts just following our instincts uh, or idolizing things, Lord, that are not you. Lord, we come humbly because we know where pride leads to cruelty and oppression, to us being far from you, Lord. But you give grace to the humble. And so we come before you so humbly, Lord. And we thank you, God, so much that you would dwell with us, that you would work in us, that you would desire to change us um, because we so desperately need that, Lord. We pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.